Hi, welcome to The Good Podcast with me, your host, Scott Gooding. Last week, I had the pleasure of sitting down with a couple of very special guests, one being Marina, who's the founder of Beautiful Minds, uh, together with her work partner and life partner, Brendan. Uh, We talk about Beautiful Minds, of course, and all the incredible, impactful work that they're doing. They're inspiring and educating one and a half million kids each year and three and a half million parents, um, which is quite staggering. But before we get into the the nuts and the bolts and the nitty-gritty of Beautiful Minds and what what Beautiful Minds was set out to to achieve, we discuss where both people had come from, which was very interesting. So I, I hope you enjoy. just come over over the bridge from Rose Bay? We have driven over the bridge from Rose Bay, but this is actually our favourite part of the world, so yeah, right. um, it's, it's a real pleasure to, to be here and have some salt air, and yeah, it's good. You, you were saying you were thinking about moving up here, is that, is that one of the goals? Yeah, we're super keen to uh, just have a bit more space, and just, you know, I think we've been together now for over a year, so we're in that real nesting stage. Yeah, where, right. You know, obviously we work together, and, and that's pretty intense. But did you did you meet at work? No, we met through friends. So, um, and it was really interesting in terms of the journey that it took. How we were able to marry Brendan's world with, you know, obviously having having worked and, and spent many years in the US and um, partnered that up, you know, so elegantly with the work that I've been doing on Beautiful Minds for sixteen yeah, years. Right. And I think it's um it's really exciting when you're in a relationship with someone that is able to. Genuinely support you, um, and you together add so much value, as opposed to feeling um, threatened or for, you know for the yeah. competition. Yeah. Um, and how how's that uh, work life relationship balance going? We have none. We have no balance. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like, um, well, I guess you're only a year in, so maybe you need more time to reflect. But you know, you obviously do live together. Yeah. Yeah, we do. So you're living together. Yeah. You're hanging out outside work and you're working together. Yeah, like, we, that's we a lot really of contact time, you know. It's a lot of contact time. We, we are best friends. Um, we do extremely long hours, but yeah, we, uh, we enjoy each other's company. We laugh a lot, so it doesn't feel I think, like I think too that's much the, the best recipe, you know. Yeah, we're both pretty light hearted characters and yeah. don't take things too seriously, so we. So who, who asked who out? definitely did the groundwork yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. so what was it a dinner party or something <laughs> just a yeah just two friends just at a party and um and our first date was a picnic um down in Bourclues and you know you always think when you meet someone is that your idea yeah I'm like a pretty good romantic yeah that's pretty good yeah so and you brought so the hamper and the rug and we did the we did the full on shebang so yeah, right. I know like most guys would just go straight to the pub for the first time <laughs> I'm gonna lay it. Let's lay out a spread and let's let's relax and chat and get to know each other and do it. It's, like it's a, yeah, it's a big call. My, my tack was always a coffee first. Yep. In like a quiet cafe. Yeah. How did you actually snag the mighty Matilda? <laughs> the mighty Matilda. <laughs> uh, I I asked Till out for a, for a coffee. Yep. I.e. a date, um, probably about four years ago. And I'd asked a mutual friend, I said, I'm thinking about asking Matilda out for a coffee. What do you think she'd say? She's, she, in no sort of uncertain terms, she said she'd say no. I was like, right, I'll fucking prove her wrong. <laughs> I'm quite competitive. So um, I, I shot her a Facebook message, a message and just said, look, I've asked a mutual friend what you would say if I asked you out for coffee. She said no, so my ex- expectations are pretty low. Would you like to go out for coffee? She was like, no. Like, fuck. <laughs> she said no. So then, I mean, the, the reason she gives is that she just started dating someone. So then we kind of stayed in contact beyond that. She then went to the States. 
we were sort of messaging every couple of weeks or so um, me more kind of instigating it <coughs> but at that stage I knew she wasn't interested but thought I was so curious about her and her soul because she's very she was very honest I say was because she's not on Instagram anymore but she was very honest transparent open on Instagram which I felt was quite kind of novel um, the good the bad the ugly um, and so I wanted to at least get a friendship out of it um, and then fast forward maybe uh, sorry this has turned into a podcast about me but fast forward about about a year so anyway about three years after I'd initially asked her out for a date I said do you want to come on my podcast so up until that point it was very sort of health focused and then I did get to a point where I was like there's so many amazing people out there doing incredible things. Why should I just, you know, health is my thing, but it doesn't define me. Like, I'm interested in all gamut of people in all various uh, industries and enterprises. So I was like, well, I'm going to branch out of health and I'm going to ask Matilda. She's in uh, the film industry. Um, and her response is, you know, I'm not into health. And I said, well, no, I'm trying to, you know, broaden my, my sort of scope anyway she said yes went and recorded an hour podcast with her went pretty well we had a bit of fun and then I, I left and she thought at that point I would ask her out again because she was like she thought probably quite rightly so that I was when she'd met me before that I was a Bondi wanker you know tattoos, singlet silly hair, living in Bondi you know I kind of ticked many of those boxes um, but I think that sit-down, intimate kind of discussion that we had over the podcast maybe sort of, you know, she got a glint in the eye that I wasn't a wanker, hopefully. And then, um, and then she asked me out about two days later. Yeah, and then that was that was probably that was in like October. So we October this October will be three years. So in like two and a half years, we got married, had a baby, got a house. That's when you know it's right, and that's when you kind oh. of, you know, I think, I mean, when I left the, the first day that we had, um, I phoned my mum and I just said, I just feel like, I feel at home with him. Oh, I wow. feel like he's my family. Yeah, wow. Um, which, is, which is really, you know, which is a feeling that you don't get very often. No. And I think like, if you're 21 and you have that experience, you don't know what you're looking at, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. But when you're, yeah. for me, I was yeah. 40 or 41 or 42 or something, mm-hmm. like, you know, I've been married before, I've had a series of sort of long-term relationships, so then they all failed for a multitude of different reasons, and then when you meet someone like you're describing, you're like, yeah, yeah. so yeah, that's, that's a it's nice term, feeling. like, yeah. yeah. He's my family. That's great. And I, and I think it's just also just bringing together your your world so that you you know you build something that's really uh, incredible together. You know, you support each other and you are very clear on what kind of a life you want to carve out with that person together yeah. as a team. And, and I think that's a, a really great way to do it. Yeah, we we, we recognised straight away we had some strong like shared values and yeah. you know, Scott yourself like when you, you just feel it in alignment with something like it's like okay this just felt natural um there's no hard work involved yeah no games no games it just clicked um and it clicked from the very start and we were like no we're on to something here let's just ride this little wave and you know see see what happens but um so far it's just been pure bliss yeah Mm. what's amazing if you can if you can work together live together play together you know you've got something right you know what i mean Look, I grew up in a Greek family and I saw my parents working together, so I've always seen a very good way that it can be done. Yeah. And they always, um, you know, I mean, they worked really, really long hours and I remember them putting in a huge amount of dedication to it, but um, they never fought with each other. They were never against each other. They yeah. were headed like in the same common, direction. Common goal, yeah. Absolutely. And we've always said from day one, you know, it is challenging working and living together and socialising together. It absolutely is. And we do have some nights where we have to just go, okay, for an hour we're not going to talk about work. And it's a joke. Yeah, right. If something pops up about work, yeah. we're 
to sum up what we're doing. I think that's where things like Married at First Sight come in. Where we're oh, yeah. like really <laughs> scungy TV just yeah. to like switch your brain off and yeah. like connect again. I've deliberately not um, jumped in with this series. Yeah. I, two series before, I used to watch it thinking that I was, you know, above that stuff. I used to watch it over Matilda's shoulder, like, <laughs> pretending that I wasn't all that bothered, but, you know, after a few episodes, you're like, oh, that was, um, you know, Susie going with Tommy. And, <laughs> and then last season, I jumped in with both feet and just couldn't stop thinking about it. Couldn't yeah. wait for, like, 7 o'clock to come round. Um, you know, as you said, pretty trashy TV, but ugh, they got all the right... The right chemistry, the, the right a bunch of lunatics, the right number of like sweet, good-hearted people, yeah. the right amount of booze. Um, it was pretty compulsive viewing, but I, I've like not deliberately, not even glanced over her shoulder for this series. Uh, so, no, we're, we're right in the we're right in the middle. So there you go. We can keep you updated. Yeah, right. So you, you spent a bit of time in the states. Is that? Yeah. Are you born in Australia? Are you Australian? So I'm actually, so I'm actually a Kiwi. Scott, oh, right, so, yeah, okay. Uh, like, I can give you, like, a little mini breakdown of how it kind yeah. of panned out. It's a, it's a strange old story, but, um, so, I was raised by a single mother, and we moved to Australia, you know, we didn't have too much money, yeah. and she worked here, and came here specifically for work to Australia, so, you know, had a pretty where, good Whereabouts life. in, um... Moved to the Gold Coast. No, the whereabouts were you born in New Zealand? Uh, Palmerston North. Ooh. So, um, yeah, we moved to Australia, moved to the Gold Coast, paradise on earth kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, lived quite comfortably, living like a regular Joe kind of lifestyle. Uh, you know, one day she came down with a, something we thought was food poisoning. And right. Two weeks later, she was extremely sick, getting an emergency surgery. And, right. Uh, then, it, you know, a few weeks later, she passed away. Oh, so shit. It kind of... Um, how, old, know, how old were you? So it was like um, 30, I think. Right. Yeah, so I, you know, I kind of got sent back to the drawing board of life, basically. Right. Um, I'd always been a good writer at school, um, you know, straight A's and won a few awards and stuff. So um, I, w- I was working in the mines at that stage. Right. And um, went back to work and did f- a few months out there and just said, Jesus, this, this fucking sucks. <laughs> and um, had a bit of money, you know, saved from the mines and that. Yeah. And I thought, why not? just try and take some time off, go overseas, see if I can study somewhere, um, and just follow my dreams for a little bit. So, you know, I inquired to a few universities to see if they had, like, these short-form courses in the States. Luckily, I got into one in um, California, in yeah. Palo Alto. Right. Um, you know, my writing was, uh, over the next few weeks, was noticed as being quite good in comparison yeah. to the others in it. A few people reached out and said, "Hey, why, why don't we try and help you get some what, work?" What are you write Like, what are you are you writing prose or yeah, so articles? It's it more short stories. Right. They said, "You know, you, given this is the, the heart of entertainment, why don't you kind of try and transfer those skills and maybe get some work in television or whatnot, or at least learn um, on the fly and pick up some experience." So they um, organised an internship on a TV show called Revenge at the time. Right. Which is like a big, um, you know, being watched by 50 million people uh, a week kind of thing. Yeah, wow. So it was kind of like straight into the big leagues, you understood how things worked over there, and then things just progressed from there. I moved to So Texas. at this point, are you, you involved in like the, the writing room? And yeah, so I was, so they're giving me, giving me little bits and pieces to work on. Yeah, you right. know, you're not given full responsibility, but it's like, here's the world here's how to operate inside this world, here's a little bit of work you can do right. to kind of keep the little apprentice kind of like, you know, happy Satisfied. and busy and, yeah. and understanding of what it entails to be like a working professional. Yeah, right. So um, that, that trajectory seems quite quite short and yeah, so, steep. Yeah, so, you know, whether you call it serendipity or luck or whatever, but it was, um, I, did write, I did meet the right people at the right time who did have the ability to kind of slingshot me yeah, right. into that world and keep me there for a while, so... yeah. Well, it must have had something to do with your ability to yeah, write. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not just all, <laughs> all the right people in the right time. Yeah, so, you know, it really was the same thing being in alignment again. You know, they kind of knew I liked doing that. They could see that I was had a bit of purpose about me. So it's like, hey, let's help this guy kind of yeah. do what he wants to do in life. He seems like he's a good egg and, yeah. you know, heart's in the right place. Yeah. And, um, and then I, I moved to Texas and managed to meet uh, 
some guys that, you know, they were big time filmmakers. Um, one guy was working on a movie called Boyhood at the time, which ended up, you know, being nominated for about 10 Academy Awards. Yeah, right. Won the Golden Globe for Best Picture. And I was surrounded by guys like the director of Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, right. Um, and Robert Rodriguez, who was making Sin City 2. He owns the studio in Austin, so you could... If you wanted to do the work, you had the right little uh, arena for it. You could pick the brains of these these older heads. Mm. You, you had a little spot where you could work on your writing and you know gain ability and develop. And it so it became a perfect little nesting pot and built yeah, right. creatively and yeah, changed right. my life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then, did you go on to other projects within that? within that world like yeah I worked with Tom Hanks for a bit for his production company yeah um, well. and uh, Who, who's Tom Hanks Tom we got mentored by him for a while and I said oh, really? oh, you, should, yeah. you should lead with that that's so exciting yeah and he was it's the first mentor. thing you should say yeah, 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 that's that's in, in any I social setting yeah, yeah. yeah no, I had a he seems like I mean I've only ever seen him on interviews but he seems like a very personable Lovely guy. He's um, any gossip? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a really dark side. He gambles. Hookers and Mexican cartels yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it's, he's I not the guy it. you think he is. No, um, he's he's exactly as you'd imagine. He's so full of life in the moment. Yeah, right. That you you know when you're you're writing little scenarios for him, just mucking around one on one, and he's bringing them to life in front of you, like oh, fully right. animated, moving around the room. Like you're getting like a one man. Well, that's quite a unique experience, right? Like wonderful learning experience, and um, and then that showed me, okay, this is this is where the, the bar is. Yeah. So it was not only did it help me develop much quicker, but it gave me an indication of okay, this is how the top dogs roll. If you want to be in that world, you're gonna have to really like right aim up and get to that. So step. you'd be sitting with him, formulating stories and yep. sort of verbalising those and he's kind of oh yeah well we could that's right go off here and he had a bunch of projects that were getting sh- you know in the middle of getting shaped there was one on the uh, formation of the atomic bomb like the scientists that were brought together to create that um, there was a couple of space things which he's known for there was a civil war project so it was more kind of like taking the, the garbage out of what he already had so okay I don't think this part works right. beefing up some part what do you think of this and he'll act out of it so you kind of like this organic storytelling so he, he's sort of as most people in that industry at that level sort of go from kind of being in front of the camera to either behind the camera mm-hmm. or story writings you know exactly right writing. you know having some ownership over the material yeah you know you not that he just doesn't want to be like a little, you know, he doesn't want to be the paint, he wants to be the painter. Right. So, you know, he's, he created Band of Brothers and, you know, From the Earth to the Moon. And he makes personal stories that his heart's really in, like stuff that fascinated him from when he was a child. Right. So, and so which is kind of cool, he's powerful enough that he can bring those things to life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's certainly a heavyweight in Hollywood, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. That's very cool. And so when did you come back? Can I ask you, what, what did your mum die of? What was it? It was ovarian cancer. Oh, really? So, Fuck. Like with, with women. So she, was she, I know there was obviously a point where she had to be hospitalised, but was there like a, was there signs and symptoms yeah, leading up to that it's, point? it's a funny one, Scott. There's, it's such an odd disease because of the space a woman has inside her naturally, you know, to fit children in. Yeah. Um, ovarian cancer can kind of live in there and like basically grow and grow and grow without being discovered. Yeah, right. So the first time it makes itself is when it's like is when you're fucked, yeah, basically. Right. Which is the scariest thing about ovarian cancer. So it was she felt a bit funny the weeks before, but it was like, Oh, that might have been I ate oh, something. It's probably the day. last thing you're thinking of, isn't it? It's like Yeah, you're not thinking of that stuff and then bang, then it makes makes itself known and it's Basically, your mum's going to die. Yeah. Like, prepare her affairs now. She's got two weeks and she's gone. Yeah. Like, and that's with, like, a week and a half warning. Yeah. So that's how, it's the speed at which it can work. And, um, yeah, it's a torrid disease. Yeah. How yeah. long ago was that? 
So that was yeah, probably start of the what decade just gone. Yeah, right. Yeah, two two twelve. Yeah, I lost my dad. I can hear in your voice like you're still affected by that. Yeah, because like you could rattle. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I lost my dad when I was twenty nine. Yeah. Um, and how how was like how did he pass? Uh that was leukemia. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of similar in in the timeline and the the speed in which it kind of took hold. There yep. wasn't like this sort of long period of of sickness. It was kind of, um, he just retired, five months retired. You know, they've been talking about retirement. They, to, to your mum and dad, they, they worked, my mum and dad worked together for nearly 40 years running pubs in and around London. So probably for the last 15, they're talking about this, you know, time where they retire and, you know, they don't have to fucking speak to customers anymore get away from it and they've been doing it for so long and then the moment came um, they sold the pub bought a house you know settled into that and then they um, went on a holiday they went to the Isle of Wight my dad went on a big walk that day came back and was like fucking tired I need to and slept for the next sort of 48 hours which was kind of and I think at that point that was when it was kind of like starting to take hold anyway he came back to home and then spent probably the next month going to various doctors they thought it was his kidneys his liver his spleen nothing was really kind of showing up they i think because he was um he liked his gin and tonics obviously being in the pub game for 40 years he probably had a few over that time um and so when he was doing when the docs are doing all the question questionnaires and getting feedback as to what it could be when he sort of portrayed how much he liked gin and tonics, they were like, oh, well, it's definitely your liver or your kidney. And so they kind of were looking down that lens for a long time and not probably, anyway, uh, he got diagnosed and within about five weeks he was gone. So he, he went when, well, my, I got the call from my mum because they're, they're in the UK, you need to come home. It's you know it's serious when your mum's saying you sh- I think you should come home. So you know I, I flew home and, and sadly he he passed when I was heading over. But the oddest thing happened. I was sitting next to a guy, an Aussie guy who lived in London that had flown to Australia like probably a week or two prior to meet up with his dying dad, and he had died on the flight over. So he got there too late. And I'm sitting next to this guy. So he's sharing their stories. We've talked for, for hours. And then we get off the plane. We collect our baggage at the same time. And we walk out into arrivals. And I remember the door, you know, the door opens up. And he just turns to me and says, I hope you have better news than I did. And I just looked. And I looked straight at my mum and my sister, who I knew weren't supposed to be picking me up. They're supposed to be at the hospital. And I was going to be a, uh, get a cab from the from the airport, so I knew as soon as I saw them, I was like, "Fuck, he's gone." Right? Um, and so I, I think there's there's pros and cons. I don't know how you feel about that with the the speed in which someone goes. Like I, I never got to say goodbye to him, but I don't know. Like my memory, my final memory of my dad was as a best man at my wedding. You know, we went out for dinner a couple of times after after the wedding, and that's I can still have those memories. I can still see them, although they're fifth, you know they're fifteen years, and that's another sad thing, like the the fading of memories, the fading of his voice. I can't really hear his voice anymore. Like this was two thousand and five, so fifteen years ago. Um, but I know my sister was with him when he passed, so she has a different mental image of him do you know what I mean absolutely um, I agree uh, I didn't get to say goodbye to my mother it was mm. just too light and quick and um, yeah and my memories are fading as well it's like your brain just reverts to like three amazing memories yeah and then struggles to kind of piece together like the rest of your life this yeah. person. and you know and it relies on the same couple of fragments of a voice yeah. in that so, so I'm losing the the whole the whole thing as well a bit yeah so I'm clinging to what I've got but I also I also think it's it's such a challenge or it's been such a challenge for you because you don't have any 
didn't have brothers, sisters? Uh, one brother, they were kind of, um, he's quite a quiet guy, lives in New Zealand, like a hunter. Yeah. So, you know, it was really just him. So it was like, oh, well, like, I'm, I'm really in the world alone now. Like, so yeah. it was, yeah, it was a, it was a obviously a huge shock. And you're, you're the, the sole custodian of those memories, do you know what I mean? Like, there's no that, one, exactly so right. my mum and my sister were here for the wedding yep. um, a few months ago. And we were saying that between us and probably like a small handful of other people have memories of our, our dad yeah. and soon you know my mum's in her 70s yeah. you know at some point she'll go and be me and my sister and my cousins would remember him but not like to the extent that do you know what I mean and, and he was such a great man and I'm sure your mum was a great woman and so it, it saddens me that over time their not their legacy but their yeah their memories and people who would talk about them and remember them fondly just just and I guess that's the evil you know it's all part of life that we all go but when someone is so close to you and so being so pivotal and loving in your life like it's a very sad yeah and notion I've that too I've noticed that she was such a social woman as well so I did notice that that yeah the those memories of her do fade and they fade not just in my eyes and my brain but they they fade in her friends kind of memories and that as well yeah so they do start that flame starts flickering yeah. out over time kind yeah. of thing i noticed yeah i've noticed it and it's it's a strange little uh, kind of yeah rivet across <laughs> yeah 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 marina so um yeah, where, where were you born? In South Africa. Originally. I thought, I thought yeah. there was a tinge of an accent tinge in there. Tinge of an accent, yeah. Born and bred in a little farming community called Zululand. Zululand. Zululand, Mpengeni. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and we immigrated to Australia. Is that, uh, I'm assuming, uh, excuse my ignorance, is that where the Zulus are from? That's where the Zulus right. are from. That is literally <laughs> the African huts, the game reserves with the big fives. Um, is there the, anything like the uh, Michael Caine movie? Yeah, like yeah, a little bit like that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> um, but it was a great, you know, it was a great place to grow up and very rustic and farming community. Yeah, right. Um, and I, yeah, I wouldn't have wanted anything different. It was wow. magic. Yeah, right. Yeah. So what? What were your mum and dad doing? But your mum and dad are Greek. They are, but my dad was a professional wrestler. Jesus. Story. This is going to be um, the longest podcast ever. It's great. Right. And I was kind of like a therapy yeah, couch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Professional wrestler, as in Greco, Greco, like traditional. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, he went to Europe for five years in a row. Shut up. Yeah. But he got a Tina Turner for a while after I. Oh, I am going to Long sit back story. in this chair. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, well, 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 hang on. So was a European champion for five years. Mm. So he he was born in Greece. Born and raised in Greece. Wrestling at school. Yeah. Excelled. Yeah. yeah. Got a scholarship to Cape Town because there were oh, okay. there was right. amazing, I was wondering where the whole Yeah, there was an amazing trainer in Cape Town that was um, doing, you know, this extraordinary work and, and uh, having great results. So my dad landed up getting a, a scholarship and moving moving to Cape Town. Yeah right. So do it like going to college. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Studying and then what was he studying? Oh god, I have no idea. Yeah, right. No he would have been so fit. He was fit. We've got photos of him, black and white photos yeah, of him. Strapping like gorgeous. Really? He hovers Huge. over the house just just to kind of like remind me to <laughs> yeah, yeah. jump on a kettlebell occasion. <laughs> <laughs> it's full size, yeah. Yeah, and he's you know, it's funny because he's I'd love to see those. He's eighty two now uh, and he's still Oh, really? He's really into oh, God. his fitness and his nutrition and, yeah. So he still looks so, physically great. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, he's and, he's, and he's also, you know... Can you um, bench press more than you, Brendan? <laughs> he can, he <laughs> can, he can, 
like he might. He's still, still now, yeah, yeah, in his ripe old age. Yeah. Um, he was also friends with um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Franco Colombo, you know, that yeah. young group of bodybuilders yeah. that came up. He yeah. kind of was mixed in with that crew, so they were... Um, you should yeah. join us, babe. This is fucking great. <laughs> 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 like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We have got one if you want wine. Yeah, so he's at college. He's he's is he doing Olympics? Like he didn't do Olympics. He did a lot of um, he fought a lot in Albert Hall and in kind of big professional fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big professional fights. So we've got these beautiful big black and white posters of him all over all over the house and. um, and he loved it, but you know, with any professional sports person, you get to a certain age, and you need to think about. So, are these like the the Albert Hall? Are they um, like exhibition, or are they actually competitive? Competitive for the championship, absolutely, or, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 right. Yeah. So he's uh, he's still to this day very involved in. There's a like a wrestling organization, a global wrestling organization, and they follow where everyone is and. Um, and all that, and uh, it was his stage name was the Golden Greek, so if right. you Google him, you'll see some, right. some photos, and it was the standard golden, you know, knee-high boots and, and golden pop pants that he used to find him. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds more like WWE. Yeah, no, that. it would actually probably be more like that now, looking back. Because it's probably um, a long, long-forgotten kind of sport, like it would have been such an ancient pursuit. But now it's got this kind of, you know, if you say wrestling, it's kind of got this, this you know, Hulk Hogan stigma, and which is changed. which is kind of a different beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. It is definitely a different beast. So, um, so yeah, Greek, Greek father. And my mum's actually English, but she should be Greek. So she. Uh, why should? Know, why is that the case? She, you know what we when we were kids, we lived in Greece for a while, and the whole point was for her to learn how to speak the language and write and cook and. Uh, she looks very Greek, you know, she's right. dark and, yeah, she and uh, you know, tall and she she's so passionate about the culture and so right. we've always just being brought up around, you know, that my parents speak Greek to each other, um, you know, there's Greek food at home, there's Greek music at home, so she's really kind of embraced that, right. that culture, which is great. So he, he went to uni or college, what, what? Where what was the motivational decision to live in Zululand? I'm guessing this is kind of as you've sort of pictured this r- rural uh, landscape. Like it's no, I think it was you know I think when the when the wrestling was kind of coming to a bit of an end in terms of his body, he had a whole lot of problems with his back and right. you know, just from from fighting and, and all that. Um, so he had a really great mentor who was um, quite a few years older than him that said to him. Mechanic. Did he just pluck that out there? Literally, yeah. Fridge mechanic. Fridge mechanic. Yeah, yeah, I feel it. <laughs> so um, he actually trained my dad up and took him on, um, and you know, got him the, the the qualification that he needed, which was a very basic one. Um, and my dad has always been quite street savvy. I mean, he's not he, he didn't finish school. I think he dropped out of school early to, yeah. to do what he wanted to do. But he's a real Sounds like quite an intimidating potential father-in-law. <laughs> if you ask me, I mean, I've got one too. But <laughs> oh yeah, you probably got the worst. Head down himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, my dad went and studied studied that as a as a trade, and then decided, you know, where where is the hottest place in Africa oh. that doesn't have a company set up that does oh. refrigeration Genius. and air conditioning and all that. And so he dragged my mum to this god awful place called Zululand, which literally there was no one living there at the time other than the Zulus, and you know it was very much of a black community. Um, and he started a tiny, tiny company called Zululand Refrigeration, which was right. air conditioning and fixing fridges. Yeah, right. And uh, by the time he sold it and we left to come here, he had 680 staff. Bloody um, hell. And was actually making the. Um, Components. Right. And right. All over the world. Yeah. yeah, it's a smart cookie. Smart cookie. Yeah. So I'm assuming that the Zulus 
you know, you mentioned grass huts earlier, didn't you? Yeah. Would yes. they have, or am I being, would they have air conditioning? In the they have absolutely no air conditioning. No. But they would, um, you know, it was so great for them to have the jobs to be able to, you know, they, they work for my dad. But there must have been a community that, that you're servicing for fridges and air conditioning. There was. There was a huge mining um, right. town outside of Enthangani called Richards Bay. Right. And then it started booming and there was a lot of money being poured into it. Um, and so he was servicing the pubs and, you know, the mine, all the homes of all, of of all the staff. Um, and I think it was just, it was a good time. It was a good, I mean, he worked really hard, but it was just he was at the right time yeah. in a town that didn't have, yeah. you know, um, you know, what he was providing. And it just became, you know, something that, that he grew. And, and, yeah. So how long were you there? How old was I? Oh, how long? So from age to... I was there until we... like a uh, subsistence traditional
just know that it's a better option, safer, less kind of, um, you know, all the trappings of that. So you just like, once I get there, I'll sort it out. It's going to be, yeah. Yeah, and I think we were lucky because obviously my folks were retired by then, so there was no stress of, we've got to get a job, you know, we've we've got to get settled. It was a matter of, we're going to take two years and just bum around the country um, and see what feels what feels good. Right. You know? What did how, how did that matter? Like how what did that look like? Like a camper van bumming around or no 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 youth no. hostels? No 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 we we no we stayed. <laughs> Are you laughing? <laughs> no no we we, we we got pretty settled. Like we would get a house and we would rent a house for six months. Right. And, um, you know, or we would go and stay in hotels or Airbnbs, and we did it like it was very comfortable and it was lovely right. and it was a great family experience. Um, and we would stay in certain places, you know, for longer period, periods of time. So Byron was really on the list of a place that we thought that we would settle in. Yeah. So we were there for several months and I, I loved it. Um, and then after a while, you know, they found themselves on the Sunshine Coast and they loved that. Um, and I just needed to be with people my own age. I'd kind of been, you know, a bit of a retirement journey. village, isn't it? Yeah, I've been doing this journey with them for a while. Um, and a girlfriend of mine from London actually moved to Melbourne. So I was like, right, I'm, I'm going to go to Melbourne. I'm going to, you know, be with people that I know. But had you, had you started Beautiful Mind? I hadn't, no. Right. No, I hadn't. So uh, we've been here for 20 years and I've only had Beautiful Minds for 16. 16. So, yeah, so the first four years in Australia was still quite, um, yeah. Finding your feet. Yeah. And so what, what were you doing before bef- that sort of set it up so let's get the inception of Beautiful Minds? Like what, what were you doing kind of 12 months before? I actually spent a quite a big chunk of my life working in modelling agencies as a booking, right. um, as a booking um, talent scout. Right. And um, I think one of the things, I, I in long story short, but I studied acting and that was what I thought I really wanted to do. Um, and I just got a part-time job in a modeling agency, and I loved the the vibe of it. It was really exciting, and we were sending you know people out for amazing jobs, and it was great when you were young. But I think one of the things that I started to really um, that became very clear to me the further along I went and the older I got was that it was it's a very very tricky world to be in, and we had so many young girls that were coming through the door with all sorts of issues, um, and it was you know eating disorders and self-harm and we might have sent them to a photographer that, you know, didn't respect them or, or, or handle them appropriately. And being quite young in the industry at that time, a lot of these girls were sharing and confiding right. uh, in me with, with their, you know, with their stories. And um, I had just studied, um, I'd, I'd been, you know, just started studying counselling online. And so I found myself becoming a bit of the, you know, yeah. resident yeah. for these young people and back then you can appreciate you know way before I started Beautiful Mind 16, 17 years ago there was nothing other than doing a, a June Daddy Watkins type workshop which was walk with a book on your head you know, yeah. shoulders back Deportment, and yeah. yeah, it was very much about what you looked like mm. um, and I couldn't understand I, was, I always used to challenge the agency owners and say why are we not talking about mental health why are we not helping these girls with what they're going through. It just doesn't make well, sense. What, because what would you say was the prevalence of, um, you know, was it 70% of these girls were suffering from some form of... Easily. Really? Easily, yeah. I'd say even 80%. Yeah, that's bonkers. Yeah, yeah. Because as well, you know, I think you've got a young girl, you put a 14 or 15-year-old girl in an environment and you tell her, you know, that this is all that really counts. This mm. is what results in her getting work and this is how she values herself. This yeah, is the way course. that she looks. That is going to have a massive ripple effect in, mm. in you know, all sorts of other areas of her life. And I think um, we just were not equipping the girls with the, with the industry at all um, and how other people would respond to them. Yeah. You know, you send a 14-year-old to a casting and she comes back in tears because casting person on the other end, the client, has said that she's too fat. Yeah. Or she's she's yeah. you know, her eyes are too too beady or whatever yeah. it is. Those are things you can't really change about yourself. When someone no. goes in and physically picks you apart, um, it becomes really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. 
know whether it's modeling or acting yeah. because obviously the casting agent has the person in mind for that role sure. and if you know a candidate comes through then yeah. there's a way of expressing that Absolutely. other than uh, you know you two are whatever because yeah. that those comments as flippant as they may be in their delivery just fucking sink right to your core do you know Absolutely. and you don't it's very hard to kind of brush that off like mm. that stuff kind of sits sits deep it does sit you know I mean if I had to give you five compliments in a week and one negative thing oh yeah I wouldn't remember the compliments you won't compliments, remember compliments. Yeah. you'll only you'll hang on to that one thing yeah what um, does she mean by that yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just it is it's human nature so it was an interesting um, and I know I never intended Beautiful Minds to be a business at all I intended it to be something that I could run one or two little workshops just to help um, you know these girls feel a bit more supported I didn't think that it would turn out to be what it So was it something that you set up in parallel to the casting agency or the modelling agency was it I, I hoped for that I actually went to the modelling agency owner we were, we were great friends at the time and I sat her down and I said look Joyce I think it would be great if we could have an additional workshop and I, and I've written it here it is this is what I think it should look like and the girls do that first to prep them you're 16 17 years down the track yeah. could you have even imagined like the size the enormity the reach the, you know how many people when we first met a couple of weeks ago you were I think maybe even it was you Brendan sort of throwing some stats at me in terms of, like the number of schools you you work with the number of weekend workshops uh, and all the partners that you're getting on board it's it's quite a beast yeah it's a beast yeah it's a <laughs> we are. <laughs> we have picked you. So yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, in all honesty, we've been very, you know, we've, we've worked with brands, um, and I've always been very brand focused in terms of, you know, we work with 20th Century Fox and Fuji Film and, um, and BT Financial and Cottons, and we, you know, we, we've got lots of really exciting things um, moving forward, and we've got an outstanding team. You know, I mean, Kate's come from 22 yeah. years. Of Century Fox, yeah. and Jan's been with Ogilvy for 22 years, and yeah, well. I mean the list of people that we've got on our team is, is extraordinary, um, and it's exciting. It's really what, exciting. Where was the first, what was the first school that you got into? 
you remember? Uh, first one was Sunshine Coast. Uh, it was Kiwana Waters High. That was a hundred years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and you know now we're in nine hundred and thirty-five. That's crazy. Just, I didn't even know there was that many in Australia. <laughs> yeah. logistics I'd imagine kind of managing all that we've got an event company that, right that is literally that's all they do people. yeah that's all they do um and they and they run that so, so you must have had, you must have this fleet of coaches and ambassadors that have come through your program so you've had workshops with them with them I'm assuming to kind of for them to really understand the, the nuts and bolts of the message that you're absolutely. trying to promote absolutely we take the training you know really seriously um, and our presenters obviously get trained up. We've got 85 presenters now that go up and work, you know, on a regular basis with right. us. Um, and again, you know, in terms of when you're looking at presenters, it's people that are really well-known actors, um, you know, like Pip Grandison, who um, is on our team, or Steve Lamarquin, um, or there are people that have been in the media that have got an amazing story, like Lauren Eagle. Um, Teachers as well, yeah. Ex ex school teachers, ex school teachers, teachers you know, right. they're given their experience <coughs> and their ability to speak in front of some crowds of small children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. even that's like another dynamic, isn't it? It's it's one thing talking to your peers or corporates, but talking to kids. Oh. It's the hardest audience. Oh. <laughs> they literally they can be like this when you go into a school, yeah. and they don't want, a, a, you know, which is why we. From a presenting point of view, we've got to send people in that are very aspirational yeah. because they don't listen to their school teachers and they're not no. engaged with their parents. So give them someone that has got a story that is magnificent to watch and that's dynamic and you will really hit home with a young person. Yeah, and, and get that story across early yeah. before <laughs> before they start drifting off. Yeah. I, did, I did a year um, cooking classes with, with my sons here at the, the local Steiner school. Yep when they were in year one, I think, so just out of kindy, so they would be, I don't know, six, seven. Hard work. Oh, yeah. The first class, because I was new, they were kind of new to year one, yeah. I pretty much had undivided attention. Like, you've got to chop like this, kids, mind your fingers, and then once you... And they were like, yes, sir, yeah. Not sir, but yes, Scott, yes. <laughs> I mean, I asked them to call me sir, but, yeah, you know... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a name just tag, sir. Yeah. yeah. Um, but come come the second week, it just all derailed. Yes. I realised pretty early on I don't have the skills um, to teach, or you know, to there's a skill set I believe to managing Absolutely. without because it's a Steiner school, obviously. Like yep. my 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 reaction kind of towards the end of the year was like I want to scream and shout at these kids to kind of you know it's like. Um, Corralling bloody kittens or something, you know, like they're all over the place. Mm. And the girls, would, you, you get a strong insight into the gender split at that age. The girls were actually very, um, uh, very into what we were doing. You know, each week we would make a dish or cook or bake something. And the girls were very applied and would stand there and listen and carry out the instruction. Whereas the boys, They'd be like flicking each other and stabbing each other with a knife during the instruction part, and then it came to actually the practical side, and they'd just piss off and kick each other up the bum. And it's like, oh, there's, there's quite, a, quite a split here, you know? Yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. definitely a skill. I don't envy those, like, well, I was going to say primary, but even high school, like, yeah. Oh. yeah, they're tough. You know, when, we, when we're talking to year 11 and 12 boys, but I mean, we've got presenters that are incredible with holding you go and you talk about things like mental health, and you talk about suicide, and you talk about, um, you know, things that they're going through, that tends to connect really well yeah. with a lot of them, um, and it's a conversation that they're so desperate to have, but they just don't know who to have it with. Yeah, right. So if you quite, you 
And would you say in your experience that that number that we talked about with the models in terms of presenting with symptoms, you know, you said, I said 70, you said 80, would that be reflective of the school system and school age? Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, we see probably about, about 85% of our kids present with anxiety from the age of eight, so really young. Uh, and and how's that measured? That's going through the through the traditional sort of GP. That's traditional GP. Some of them are, are medicated, or some of them are with NDIS. So we do we get a lot of NDIS funding. Uh, you know, our kids can um, get funding for our workshops through NDIS, and in order to have that, they have to present with a mental health yeah, um, right. issue. And it's really sad to see because you know, as you can appreciate, the business has changed so much in sixteen years because younger and younger children are presenting with, you know, these, these issues. That so you just children as young as, as eight are as going eight. to a GP and potentially getting medicated. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's always been the case? No, I think... Or something, there's been a shift, there's been a change, there's, like, what, what's, if that's the case, like, what's, what in your mind is happening? I think there's two things. I think there's been a, um, I think we're quicker to medicate now. Yep. Um, I think people don't look at things like food. You know, it's one of the reasons why we were so keen to, to collaborate with you and your brand. Everyone because everyone else said no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, because we we see this this connection and we know that, that, that there's a connection between mental health and what you what you feed your body. Yeah. Um, and I remember saying to you on the phone, you know, when we spoke last, that we're getting a lot of kids that come to us with. ADHD and you know they've got dyslexia or, or they, they, they don't have any attention at school and they're the first kids to sit down at lunch and they're there with a sausage sausage roll and a yeah. Coke yeah. You know, and they're just not being fed the right food yeah. to be able to get their body and their mind working yeah. properly yeah. but I do think, I think we've been medicating too much, number one, and I think the second thing is that social media is right. out of control, yeah. like the number of kids, we have 92% of the pre-teens that come through our workshops, so that's from the age of eight to 11, have their own mobile phone and are using TikTok or Snapchat or Instagram. Right. Mm. You know, they're using an adult device with a child's brain. Yeah. Really, at the end of the day. Yeah. Because that, that child's brain doesn't stop development, developing until maybe mine hasn't uh, <laughs> fully formed yet, but until you're like 20 22. 22, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. And it's so interesting because, you know... But it's, say, it's, it's like we, we've, got, we've got no... There's no template that we're going off. This is all... We're experiencing all this for the first time. It's all uncharted waters, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we're not sure how... What are the ramifications? What are the implications? We're not sure how to manage it. Yeah. And quite often you're managing when it's kind of got... When it's bad. When it's crisis, you know? Like, it's exactly, when they're in crisis point. And I think, you know, if you... You've got to understand if a little eight-year-old is getting bullied on social media, you know, they don't know how to deal with it. Um, if someone comments something awful on one of their photographs, you know, you can't say to them, don't worry about it, they're yeah. eight. They don't yeah. know how to manage yeah. that. And nor should they have to manage that. And, you know, whereas an adult can disconnect and, well, not what adults can, but where some adults can disconnect and go, I'm going to jump off now and I'm just actually not going to use social media for a while and I'm going to block that Ninety-two percent. Ninety-two. That's alarming, isn't it? Really alarming. And I think it's you know it's one of the reasons why we started the um, digital um, platform and why we kind of went down that route because one of the things that we would talk about when I came home every day was the fact that these young children needed something that they could access twenty-four hours a day. They needed that that person to hold their hands because not everyone is at home with a great same time you're, you're competing with the, the TikTok and the Instagram and the YouTube like it's you're yeah. saying you know gently come over here yeah. Yeah. 
that's not doing you any any good, any service, but that's the more kind of entertaining, engaged, that's where all my friends are. Like it's it's That's right it's and very it's, sticky, isn't it? it's very sticky and it's you know, the the hiring neuroscientists and psychologists, these uh, companies like that, to really embed these platforms with right. addictive little mechanisms to keep them inside these platforms. So you're also fighting against that. It's like, not only is it like, come to this little safe world where we can help you with mental health, but you know we don't have anything to really keep you there. You've got to be there on yeah. your own accord yeah. um, to deliberately fix yourself. Whereas you're getting these little things bombarding you all day long in this platform that really make these things more addictive than crack cocaine, basically. Yeah. yeah. And you know, so you're, you're really fighting a massive monster, which is quite. And I know TikToks relatively new in my world and I came across it because my son was I was like what's that you know he was scrolling through it I was like oh no this no I'm not having you watch this yeah. you know 40 minutes later <laughs> yeah. I was still there I was like yeah. that's, that's pretty clever that's pretty funny you know like yeah it's like, so addictive yeah you would have taken like you know my friend's children and that when you take an iPad off them or, or an iPhone the little tantrums they throw yeah. because it's literally hardwired into them after yeah. a few minutes been on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we've had our, our own struggle. I've got a, not with Zan, who you met earlier, he's yes. only nine months, but I've got an 11-year-old boy. Yeah. And so he, he, he does have his own phone. I bought him one out of necessity, so I can contact him at any point, but it's a little flip phone, it's analog, nice. yeah. there's no apps. He fucking hates it. He's embarrassed by it. I'm like, and it was actually really hard for me to get a phone of that nature these days. You know, I went to the sort of places that you would think would sell them. The post office, Kmart, Target. And it's really hard these days to not get a smartphone. Anyway, I found one. Uh, he hates it. He does have access to an iPad here. And we've had trouble in the past with, to your point, his attitude or shift in mood when you say, hey, buddy, like, yeah. let's go and do something because he doesn't want to do that all of a sudden that that trip to the shops or kick a ball in the park isn't quite as good as what he's doing right there and so then you go no okay you've had your half an hour put it down and then it becomes oh fuck do I have to kind of thing and it's like hang on like we, we pulled that up after a time we're like okay well you don't have the iPad at all and so we had about a day or two or maybe even a week of some sort of pushback. But he didn't have it, he didn't have it for about three or four months. And it instilled this kind of reinvigoration of, okay, well there is there is other things to do, there is plenty to do, and it's not boring and it can be fun. And, uh, and now he has access to the iPad, but there's certain sort of conditions that come with that. And just his kind of, we've kind of navigated that to the point where even if he's on it and he's enjoying what he's doing, if there's a you know, request for him to put it down and come with us, yep. there's not that shift in mood. Yep. And granted, he's another you know, two years older than where we were, so you know, he's, he's evolved in that space anyway. But the, the thing that I find sad is that when you do go to a restaurant these days, Oof. or an airport, or, you know, you, know you, get, you get a table of four adults and there's a couple of kids and they're just, to almost shut them up so the kids, so the adults can can talk and get and have a glass of wine and get into the nitty gritty of the gossip. The kids are sitting there with the iPads, headphones sometimes. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Where's yeah. the family? Yeah. Catch up and they're yeah. talking and how are you and yeah. sort of sharing. Yeah. And it's interesting because, I, you know, I'm going to sound like I'm 100 years of age when I say this, but we really are lacking with the, the eye contact. Yeah. something in their hands to negate yeah. boredom like they can get creative and 
you know, there's so many things they could do. Like, don't just give them the scene to automatically yeah. kind of like stave off boredom. I, I think I was kind of guilty of that. Yep. Being a single parent and not being with my son seven days a week. Yep. The times and the days that I, I had him throughout the week, I would want him to have the best time. I wouldn't want him to yeah. be bored. Yeah. I've now realised that it's okay to be bored. Out of boredom creates kind of you know creativity or ideas that's or right. you know. Um, and God, that's we had all that, you know. Absolutely. You know, yeah. mum and bored. Fucking my dad used to say, "Go and play in the traffic," you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a great but game. You, you make your it. own entertainment. You, yeah. know, you, you get outside and you. to help you in these projects so then your, your sense of cooperation is built and understanding of teamwork to accomplish goals and that and so some of that when you're so drawn into this one device that's you by yourself you're kind of missing a lot of that yeah, stuff of course. and so where do you get that if you don't have that yeah where do you, where do you start getting yeah that and we don't we as i said earlier we don't know the the true implications for all this yet yeah. but it sounds like you guys have your work cut out I think Australia owes a lot to, to you guys. Like, um, I'm sure they'll be very thankful for everything that you're doing and have done in the last 16, 17 years. What you're doing with the kids is invaluable. Um, so I commend you. Like, I, I, you know, I came across you a couple of weeks ago when Brenda reached out and I just, after hearing you guys over the phone and, and reading, sort of doing a bit of background reading, I was like, doing an amazing thing and just this conversation has really cemented that for me so thank you for coming on and sharing your story awesome thank, thank you so Scott. much yeah. it was great to chat pleasure